Hey guys, welcome to our program, Small Town World, where we talk about world issues from a small town perspective through a biblical lens. Our aim is to spotlight Jesus Christ and spread the gospel while discussing relevant topics we all face day to day. I'm Lee Creech and I'm here with my sister Kayla Couples and we're going to talk about today identity. This is going to be a two-part I think we're going to do self today and yeah, at least two. I was thinking today. At least today, two because it, it might a, be three. Yeah, that's exactly. Not exactly. There's a lot. A lot. Um, and hopefully maybe next week we can get to identity in Christ. And yeah. we're going to start off today. Kayla's going to read us 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9 in the Amplified Version. So we're going to start off with that today. Yeah. Uh, just as when I was rethinking about it, I, really, I stopped at five. I think that that really covered... Um, pretty much what we're going to talk about today. Um, It's a really familiar passage. Right. And so, but I I decided to read it in the Amplified because I love um, some of the descriptors that are added to uh, that familiar verse that, that again, that we in the church are so accustomed to hearing. So 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 in the Amplified Bible says, But understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days that will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection, calloused and inhumane, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, intemperate, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of outward godliness or religion, although they have denied its power, for their conduct nullifies their claim to faith. Avoid such people and keep far away from them. Yeah, that just made me think of the, of what we just talked about in the progressive movement, holding to a form of godliness. Right. It made yeah. me think of so many things, and I think a scripture like that, as you, I know for me when I read through it, I have to stop and I have to ask myself, where do I, where do I see myself in that? Yeah. And um, I think if we aren't using the God, the the Bible for that purpose, then we're missing the point. And Absolutely. So, I wrote. At the end of everything, I had five pages of this, and at the end of this, I wrote, what is your self-identity talking to myself? Right. Because I was convicted after I read and wrote all of this. Because it's so easy to skim over that and say, oh, well, I'm not this, this, and this, but what am I? In right. in what way am I conceited? In what way am I ungrateful? In, one, in what way do I love my, you know, in what way am I any of these things? And um, as we've said so often, um, that that kind of scripture should bring us to a place of repentance. Yeah. Uh, of course. That's not exactly what we're talking about today, but you, you can't help but read that and think, you know, how, how does that apply to me? Right. And you want to immediately put it off on the other person because oh. we see it around us, what's right. happening in our world right now. Right. And so you do want to put it off on, on them, but you also need to reflect. Right. 
Because it's just like I, I think about a sermon where you hear the preacher say something and you're thinking of all the people in your mind that you wish could hear that. Yes. Oh, I wish they could. Instead of, oh, God, what are you saying to me today through that word? I yes. I told you the story kind of... about my sister-in-law telling me I, I came and we listened to the same sermon and we we're driving away. And I said, well, you know, that was about so-and-so. <laughs> and she said, um, I think that was about you. <laughs> I was like, like, oh, you're probably right, actually, now that I reflect back and think about that. Okay. So, self, we're kind of all uh, yeah. struggle with that. Yeah. Uh, we see the victimhood mentality. We see right now no dignity or self-respect. We see self-pity. Um, do you want to talk about the self-addiction that we're in right now? I mean, gosh, I think that we can't we can't pick up our phone and not see it. We can't. um, We really can't turn on the television. We can't watch a news program because it's literally everywhere. Everywhere that we look, there is this um, unprecedented um, promotion of self. And whether you are um, taking a picture because you think you look cute, which is the you know the selfie. Yeah. Um, generation that we're in, and I, you can't even say generation because it's multi-generational. I it think is. that it, it's, it's a culture. It's a it's, yes, it's much more than generational. It's it's a cultural thing, mm-hmm. and um, and I think just what it's what it speaks to that that um, focus on self. Because I know you. What what did you title this message or this program? What did you title it? Just I, identity. I just did identity, self-identity, and then next week was identity in Christ. And so for me, what I what I wrote in my journal was the God of self. The God of self. That probably needs to be our title. and how we have yeah. we, how we have literally made um, our ourselves the God of our own lives, yeah. and just how that um, is reflected in culture and in society, and and really probably just in our own day to day lives. Even if we don't take a picture of ourselves and. You know, it's still so prevalent in um, in our own hearts. I see it as, um, so we have a constant need for validation. I think it's addicting. I, you know, if you get on Facebook and they're, you know, do, do you find that? Well, I do. And, I, and it, it stirs up so many things because I'll just give you a recent example. So we all just recently had Easter and we... Went to our family Easter gathering yeah. and left. And I thought, we we didn't take a picture. We never take pictures, by the way. and We forget every time. Th- and then later on that evening, I'm looking in, on Facebook, and I'm on Facebook, and, I, and, then, and then I'm jealous. Yeah. Because I'm like, all these people had all these pictures, and I had nothing to post. We yeah. had not one single family picture. None. And like, rather than really enjoying, oh, the, the beautiful family celebrations that everyone had and got together. No, yeah. what it started in me was jealousy because I didn't have good pictures to post of our family. I'm like, isn't that so horrible? But like, I mean, I'm just being honest. Yeah. That's what it started in me when I saw everybody I else. enjoyed stuff. everybody's Easter pictures. Yeah. But I mean, what, they were great and all, but I mean, that really they wasn't were, the they were great. I, primary I, thing that it started in me. I love everybody's Easter pictures, I guess. And I personally don't see a problem with that. No, no. I don't. Uh, I like people's vacation photos. I love to see people's kids. I love to see events that they go to, vacation yeah. photos. I think the problem is the constant the constant selfie, per se. Do, do you find that as the more of a need for validation? Have you? Do you go well, back and check and see how many likes you got? But you I go think back we and, do that on 
pretty much anything we post, if we're honest. When we post something, when I post something, yeah, I find, you're right. I find myself going back. How many have liked it now? Who's made a comment on it? Oh, yep. gosh, it's not, it must not have been very good because I don't have that many. <laughs> that is true. That is and true. And so it doesn't, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about the selfie, but really self in general, because I may yeah. not put a picture of myself, but we but still want to see. But it's a reflection of me when I see what people responded, how they responded. I mean, that's yeah. you're what right. I, what I want right. to see, you know. Allie Beth Stuckey wrote a book that says, you're not, you're not enough. And that's okay. Escaping the toxic culture of self-love. I'm going to read you just a quick little quote. The truth is we can't find satisfaction inside ourselves because we are the problem. The answer to our insufficiency and insecurity isn't self-love, but God's love. There are over 150 verses about dying to self in the Bible. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. That is a lot. And that's what her book is based on. Right. Those, the scripture that talked, yes. the scriptures about dying to self. That talked about dying to self. Yeah. I read a, a quote today in something that I was reading that said, um, self will never bow its knee. Mm. That's why self has to die. Yeah. Self will never bow its knee to God. That's why Jesus says, you must be crucified. Yeah. With Christ. Or actually, Paul said that I'm crucified with Christ. Jesus said, um, no, that is Paul because it's in Galatians 2. 4. Paul says, says, I die daily. Yeah, but he also said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives, lives in me. Yeah. yeah. Jesus said, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And essentially he's saying the same thing. You've got to put self away. You've got to let self die so that you can be resurrected to new life in me. Yeah. Talk about the book you found about narcissism. Oh, gosh, it was I read some more of it today. So there's this book called The Culture of Narcissism. And when I first discovered it, I was was reading because it had some pages that you could preview. And so when I was reading through it, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so um, explicit of what's going on today. But when I when I looked at it a little bit further, it was published in 1979. Mm. And he is speaking of, he was not a Christian. He was a philosopher. I mean, yeah, a philosopher. I mean, he, he was basically a, um, a social, a social scientist is what he was. And so he studied culture and psychology and all of that stuff. Probably but anthropology. So what he, but what he was saying was, is that basically humanity, especially in America, sometime through the fifties and sixties through all, and, and even through the seventies, some of the events that happened, um, he he listed quite a few Vietnam and some different things that basically um, humanity came to the point where they realized destruction is 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 imminent. Like, li- in other words, life is short. Live your life. Live it up. Live it up. That was that was kind of his um, his observation that humanity had come to that place. And so he was saying in 1979 that the the rise in narcissism in our culture was born out of that. Um, that idealism, that, that idealism that life is short, we're all going to die, there's nothing we can do. And he said the rise of like, um, rather than a, a rise in people purchasing books about how to make improvements in our world, there was this rise of, self, of um, self-preservation. So people were now purchasing books on how to build a bomb shelter, how to um, make provisions, how to live um, to take care of yourself. It, 
you know, like your own personal self. Yeah. It wasn't so much, um, how can I make the world better? It was, how can I preserve myself? And he just, he just made some really interesting connections about how, um, almost like humanity had resigned itself to the fact that destruction was coming. At that point, it was the belief that nuclear destruction was coming quickly and that, you know, we were all going to be annihilated anyway. So, um, live your best life kind of thing. Yeah. But, but the point was that because of that mentality that there was this, um, huge jump in narcissism. And another thing that I found in just researching the word that, um, because I remember early in my life, I didn't hear that word. Like if I heard it, I didn't, for years, I didn't know what it meant. Right. I didn't know. I was an adult. Yeah. I, for sure. Whenever an, an I started realizing sure. what that word was. What and... that word meant. And even once I knew what it was, like I really didn't necessarily see it in my circle, I guess I, you could say. But then to realize that that word is so old, like it was that word came out of um, Greek mythology. Right. But to know now, in fact, uh, another article of uh, research I said, it said that 1% of society is, is now not just narcissistic, but is diagnosed with the clinical, clinical. pathological narcissist. I mean, you think a one percent is not, but when you start talking about a deviant character trait, that's one percent is a pretty big deal, and that's just the diagnosed clinically. Right, one percent would be considered that. Read, read what you show what you showed me earlier. So, um, and again, I just I just did a little Wikipedia research. That's basically what I did yeah. this afternoon. And um, it said narcissism is the pursuit of gratification from vanity. Um, egotistic admiration of one's idealized self-image and attributes. Not even what we really are, but what we think we are. What we think we are. Which is so scary. And so I'm going to stop right there and get you to share that example that, that you had. Chloe Kardashian? Yeah. And the, and the swimsuit thing? Yeah. So everybody knows probably, because if you, you know, are involved in any kind of pop culture, you know that over the Easter uh, weekend, so there was a unedited photo published of her I think on Twitter and then you know she posted her own edited filtered photo on Twitter so she's it uh, the, the headline yesterday was Kardashians consider lawsuit over unedited uh, swimsuit photo and you said she was offended by she was offended by her true self right her own reality her own reality that that the unedited version had been leaked and you know and actually it's two different photos it's two different photos two different swimsuits um but she looks to me she's beautiful in both photos but you know the other photo i did see it and it and it does show a little cellulite i mean right. it's just real it's just it's real. real yeah right. yeah so that that made but me her think own that. her own photo offended her right idealized self-image yeah um so a narcissist is um one that is in love with one's own image that was another thing that it said pathological self-absorption and so I think that if that percentage were recalculated um, by social observation, it would be much different than a clinical study. But the interesting thing that I came across, and this wasn't on Wikipedia, this was another um, website, but basically it said that narcissism was a part of the dark triad. And um, basically it's three um, deviant, psychologically deviant conditions or traits. And so narcissism is one, um, 
a psychopath is the other, and I hope I'm saying this correct, a uh, Machiavellian. Machiavellian, yes. And so uh, a Machiavellian is one that is so focused on one's own interest that they're willing to deceive, manipulate, or exploit others to achieve their goal. So that's a, a deviant character trait. Um, and then a, a psychopath is mental or antisocial disorder, amoral behavior, inability to love. They lack uh, the ability to have empathy. Um, they can't form meaningful relationships. Um, expresses extreme egocentricity and a failure to learn from experience or observation. In other words, they can't view society or social settings and realize this is how, this is the yeah. the way I should be behaving. They can't interpret social norms. Or, or social cues of any right, kind from any other kind. people. Right. But if, if you notice in all three of those, own self-interest, self-absorption, extreme egocentricity in all three of those things self is at the center yeah because it yeah it is i mean and and what we discussed earlier is that we do all have some well we have self-love that's why the bible tells us to die to self yeah i mean we have we need we do love ourselves we need this we need that we need this die to self versus because we love ourselves right yeah but but then you know because there's also that the the the, the teaching or the line of thought that we all do have a level of narcissism just in self-preservation. I mean, we all have a little bit of that in us that we, um, you know, to, to preserve our own selves. But um, I don't know that that's necessarily narcissism in its truest sense. I think that's just more like you said, self-love. self-love. But when you talk about, when psychologists talk about it, they say we all have a level of it. It's just when it becomes... Um, elevated that it's a problem, but the Bible says different. The Bible says it shouldn't exist at all in us, that we should die to self. I told you the teen, I sent you yesterday, the teen suicide rate. So in young people aged 10 to 24, the rate of teen suicide has increased 60% between 2007 and 2018. That's a report from the CDC done and released in September of 2020. I personally think that's a direct correlation to cell phone, selfie. I just think it's related to the self-obsession in our society. So when you, so what, what makes you say, like what correlation do you make between the, the year, like 2000, cause you, you had commented to me about um, the change in technology about that time. So yeah, speak so you to think, that for just a second. So you think, if you think back, we had before that, we ha- during those years prior to 2007, we had flip phones. We had different kinds of phones. We had Palm Pilots. We had flip phones. Um, we didn't have the smartphone with the with the. We could take photos, remember, but they were little and tiny yes, and, and yeah. grainy and yeah, grainy. The pics, yeah. But with the smart, with the increase in the smartphone technology, and then the apps that are available, and all of the things in the technology that's right. just exponentially changed since those years. Yeah. I just believe in my heart they're they're there's related a there's a correlation yeah. between it yeah and you know teens didn't have phones the way in those years right. the way that they do now if they did you know it just it was just a different right and um, what they were used for was and what so they were used yeah. for was so different than what than what's yeah. available to them right now I did a we, we had a little writing prompt last week about cell phones um, in in my third grade class and they had to imagine a day without the, the day cell phones stopped working. That was what our prompt was. And so I just had them brainstorm what what they 
what cell phones were used for today. And when I tell you we filled up my board of all the things that they're used for. Did I share that last week when we were talking no, about cell phones? No. Um, and I was just amazed. I mean, they were telling this, they were just telling me stuff. And I, cause I told them, I said anything, but, um, but actually making a phone call, tell me anything that you use a cell phone for, except for making a phone call. Right. And, um, the other thing that was funny about that was that they didn't know what a pay, a pay phone was. A few of them had seen one in the movie <laughs> and they, um, their grandmas had landlines. Like they, they were like, Oh, are you talking about those phones with the, Oh, my grandma has that. The one with the cord, the wire to the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that was there, but but the cell phone, nobody they knew. They probably knew twenty or twenty five different things that you could do with a cell with phone. a cell phone. Yeah. So yeah, they've got them and they've got them in their hand and they're yeah, they're third, young third grade. Yeah, and third not grade. all of them had a cell phone, but they all had access to one, or right. they had a tablet that essentially does the same things that they you yeah know, could communicate on. And, yeah. Um, so there, that number is is we're not talking about teens anymore. We're talking about you know, much younger kids. Yeah. Right. I wanted to talk a little bit about the, what I sent you about mirroring. Yeah. So I'm going to read to you what mirroring is. Um, Mirroring in psychology, the mirror effect is a reflection of oneself through the gaze of others. It's used in education as a metacognition tool and as a vector of knowledge. The mirror effect can be obtained directly from another person through observation, listening to his or her comments, or by watching a video. I f- personally feel like... Um, so in education, that's called modeling. It's, yeah. It's, it, it, that's exactly what you said that it was, but, you know, it just it goes by the name of modeling. Yeah. I've got to find my the rest of my uh my mirroring things so while you're looking at that while you're looking for that the something that i found interesting about my uh about mirroring was that it's also called the chameleon effect and that it's associated with the machiavellian trait as a way to manipulate so there's a there's a correlation between mirroring when used yeah for the purpose of manipulation associated with that deviant social trait Social trait. Wow. So. And that came from the Wall Street Journal. Okay. The dark side of mirroring. The dark side of mirroring. So I'm going to read you a little bit about the New York Times article released in June of 2016, which is five years ago, says that the transgender population had doubled to 1.4 million adults. The number's growing. It's also becoming progressively younger. And I personally believe that that's due to mirroring. Um, because we have a culture of indoctrination right now, I think they're truly trying to indoctrinate our kids. And I just, in my, so I went on, I'm a member of the Daily Wire, so I go on the Daily Wire and I typed in, in a little, in the little search category, I typed in, um, I'm not even sure what I typed in, maybe transgender articles or something, but a, but a Matt Walsh uh, story popped up. So I clicked on it and listened. And he said, there's a Gallup poll that showed the numbers of transgender children skyrocketing. Um, it's actually 10 times higher than um, in Generation Z than in Gen X. So, in 10 times, not 10%, 10%, but 10 times 10 higher. 10 times higher. Um, he said that he believed that they are actively recruiting our children. I completely agree. He said they've made it cool, they've made it fashionable, and they're actually being taught and encouraged. This was his 
um, assessment to to join the that movement, um, and then I had screenshotted the Cartoon Network yeah uh, commercial, and I'm going to tell y'all what the Cartoon Network commercial says. It's it's about gender pronouns. So character one says. And this is little bubbles above their head. Gender pronouns describe a person's gender gender identity. And then it said, character two said, examples of pronouns are she slash her, they slash them, and Z, that's Z, the letter Z, uh, slash their. And then character three says, a lot of people are learning about gender. If you're comfortable, you can share yours. And then at the bottom of the screen, it said gender pronouns. We can't tell someone's gender just by looking at them. There are many gender identities beyond boy and girl. Some people don't even identify as any gender. So, there... The Bible says God created male and female. female. Male and female. Yes. So... I just want to throw out the two terms that I think are happening, normalizing and mirroring. Yeah. The they, the the great they, are trying to normalize it, and then our children are going to mirror it. Right. Yeah. And so normalizing is just what it sounds like. It's just the tactic used to desensitize. Yeah. But I don't know what your definition is, but a definition that I found said a tactic used to desensitize an individual to abusive coercive or inappropriate behaviors mm-hmm. um, manipulation of another to get them to agree to or accept something that is in conflict with either the law a social norm or their own basic code of behavior yeah that's that's normalizing and so yeah. obviously um, normalizing comes in a lot of different I mean we norm normalizing has been happened for, for a very long time and it isn't always a bad thing but it is usually against a social norm right you know it may be I'll just it's a silly example, but, you know, wearing skinny jeans. Well, now that's yeah. not normal anymore. All of a sudden, right? it's not normal. Like Elizabeth said about the leggings. You know, she yeah. she was never going to own a pair of leggings. Well, now she has two pairs, she yeah. said. <laughs> um, so uh, an, another example. I love leggings, FYI. I, think yeah. I, have, I have a pair on right now. And I have on skinny jeans. <laughs> um, but the a few years ago, well, let me back up. So they were saying how, I read an article the other day that said, um, you know, of course, President Obama had been touted as, you know, a, a great leader. So they were going to name a school after him in some state. And all of a sudden, people got up in arms because um, he had deported more immigrants than any other president. And now, all of a sudden, you couldn't name him. You, they couldn't name their school after him. At the time... It was okay for him to do that. Right. It was great. It was celebrated. Yeah. But now, because that's not a norm anymore, now it's not okay for him to have done that. And so right. that's part of that, um, you know, rather than that constant standard of God's Word. I think that that's what I love about God's Word so much, much is that it, it is unchanging. It's it's mm-hmm. going to always, he's going to always have the same standard that he held from the foundations of the earth and they're unchanging. And it's and all, they're not politically correct. No, but it's all this shifting sand that that puts us on that that what we feel like we're on this crazy tightrope that you know where where today it might be okay and tomorrow it's not or today yeah. it's acceptable and tomorrow it's not and that's um that's a crazy place to that's that's a um that's a stressful place to be. I think yeah. that's why so many people in our country are struggling because that that's yeah. a hard place to be. Yeah. No one 
no matter which side you're on, left or right politically, no matter what side you're on within our world right now, you're never going to be able to be good enough. No. And, and that's what we're seeing. People are being attacked. You're never going to meet any... The standards, number one, they're constantly changing. Yeah. So, so like you shit said, the shit sand is constantly shifting. So there's no... There's no way to meet up to that standard. The bar is set too high, but then the bar moves. It's constantly moving to different places. You know, uh, I read a little thing that Candace Owens put on the Daily Wire that she's sad because they're, she said, they're taking away all the things we love. You know, they're politicizing baseball. They're politicizing all of the things that are just, you know, life, life, just normal everyday life. Right. You can't buy a pair of tennis shoes without making a political statement. Right. You, you can't go to a baseball game without making yeah. a political statement. Um, that everything is is now being, yeah, shifted. Like you said, like and like you said, politicized. Um, and you know, I think in the at the center of all of that is us trying to find um, ourselves, and I and and. I, th- I think that that's what we're talking about. And, yeah. you know, when, when nothing seems to be good enough, if I'm, if I can make myself better, um, you know, maybe there'll be some normalcy in that and there, and there never will be. I want to go back and make one point that I forgot to make about the um, Cartoon Network commercial. I was reading First Timothy today and in First Timothy one I'm going to say part B, he told him to keep waging the good, Warfare is what it actually says. Yeah. I wrote the good war, but um, so I just want to throw that out there for the parents that are that their children are being attacked and right. and um, that they clearly clearly have a target on our children. And so um, anyway, it, um, I put that um, with ev- as with everything in our society and culture and government right now, it's a game of distraction. They want to keep us focused on the right hand so they can't yeah. see what the left hand's doing, but they are clearly trying to indoctrinate our children. And right. I feel like that is, they are working under the control yeah. of Satan. They're working under and the think, control of the enemy. I think part of that smoke and mirrors, and I shared this at church the other day, is that, um, you know, Satan has had us focusing on so many things over here, Mm-hmm. Even, you know, we can even culturally and politically and all of that. And all the while behind the curtain, he's been undermining the church because that's his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is to undermine God's church and God's word. Yeah. And so while we've been, while we feel like we're fighting these these wars, we can never lose sight of what the actual war that we're fighting. And the yeah. actual war that we're fighting is against the enemy of our soul for the protection of the kingdom of God and for his word and the furthering of the gospel and for the bringing as many into heaven as, as we have an opportunity to do so. And, um, I'm on, amen. 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 <laughs> I think there's so much more to be said about the God of self. And so yeah. we'll see um, how far we get next week. But I, but I feel like that, um, there's much to be said about that for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. Thank y'all for being with us. And next week, we'll probably um, try to throw out some scripture, talk about identity in Christ. We'll yeah. hit on some more things about um, the God of self. I'm going to change the title to the God of self. <laughs> <laughs> thank y'all for joining us and tune in next week.